Welcome to the Triathlete Hour. I'm Kelly O'Mara, your host and the editor-in-chief of Triathlete Magazine. And this week, we're talking to Taylor Spivey. Now, we chatted with Taylor while she was in her hotel room in Daytona, Florida, there to support her boyfriend, Vince Louise, at the PTO Championship race. So, she did give us her predictions, which she made before the race happened. Did she turn out to be right? Now, earlier this year... Taylor got stuck in Portugal when COVID restrictions went in place. And she tells us about ultimately putting everything in her car and trying to cross two borders to drive to meet Vince in France. Fortunately, it worked out. She talks to us about how they met and what it's like to be dating someone who's on a different squad and competing for a different country. Taylor just missed out on locking in her Team USA Tokyo qualification at the test event last year by seven seconds. And yes, she's had a lot of time now to think about those seven seconds. But the California native was fourth in the world last year and is a favorite for the team. She tells us how she got her start while in Italy studying architecture and how she had a horrific crash in her first year as a pro. First, though, Laura Sedol joins us again for Sid Talks with all the gossip from the ground in Daytona. The PTO Championship race was this past weekend. It was exciting. It was surprising. It was aired live. If you didn't watch, and even if you did, we've got the breakdown for you. All that on today's episode of the Triathlete Hour. All right, we have Laura Sidall back for Sid Talks, still in <laughs> Daytona. The PTO Championships at Challenge Daytona were this past weekend. Very exciting. I feel like everyone in triathlon was watching on their phones, on their TVs. What was most exciting for you on the ground? Like, what were you like most surprised about? Oh gosh. I mean, today I'm in that today, day after the race, I've gone through that kind of funk of the hype of the day. And then everyone sort of has left the hotel. So I'm like, and I've got another couple of days. So you kind of go into that post event depression, but now like talking to you and like getting excited again, I think. So what was I most excited about? I think actually seeing the race come to life <laughs> and on race day it happened and the buzz and the excitement and all the messages I was getting from people around the world watching it going oh my god this is exciting this is awesome um the other thing I was excited about like they just they they had fireworks at the start of all the races which would scare the f out of me when I was like standing there and like suddenly these fireworks would go off um but I think just the the work that the team had put in to really make it a good event. Um, feedback from the pros was like, they got looked after really well. I really hope they did. Like we did doing a really, look with any event, there was, there were teething problems for sure. And there were definitely things we can do better. Um, that's me talking from like a behind the scenes operational side. But um, I think on the whole, just, yeah, seeing the event go out, seeing the coverage, that went out um, and the pros just excited to see the pros racing again, I think. Um, yeah. I think that was, that was probably what, what excited me. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of them were posting on social media. I saw all the little like perks that they got that they got like hotel slippers that were branded with the race and they were like very well taken care of. Right. They all had like their names on their jackets. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I hope so. I think that's what Bill and the challenge Daytona team and then the PTO, um, you know, they wanted to make it, make the pros feel special. It's, that's kind of where we want to take the sport that, you know, that they, they feel like they're a pro when they're at these events. And, you know, they had, they had a massive week. They really did have a massive week. They had a fair amount of media commitments from both um, the PTO grabbing images and video and content to go forward with. 
Um, and then like NASCAR productions, obviously, um, getting shots and stuff ready for the TV coverage. Um, and then, you know, Bob Babbitt was there and just everything else that was sort of thrown at them. And they were, most of them took it in, in their stride and, and managed it really well. Um, but yeah, the little perks, I think, yeah, they had, they had slippers, jackets, a few books, um, branded masks. Cause obviously we're all in face masks and that sort of thing. And yeah. And I, and they had, they also, like a uh, the Daytona 500 Club, which I guess is like a, a it's a thing VIP area and stuff like that. They that was purely for the pros as well, so they could go in. There was Wahoo kickers, there was treadmills. They had one of the levels was full of food for after the race. They could go up. They had the TV screen, so the women like the women could go up there, have food and drinks, and watch the men's race on the track. They could see the track, but they could watch the the, the coverage on TV as well. Um, so I think just little things like that was really what they were trying to achieve and to yeah to make make the feel make the pros feel like they're they're professionals in the sport yeah i mean and the coverage itself i don't know if you actually were able to see the coverage since you were on the ground but the coverage was pretty pro level pretty standard like nascar nbc and it was interesting because they had regular regular people but they had normal announcers who don't know anything about triathlon talking who are you know nascar announcers uh rowdy Gaines is a swimming announcer and then they would like throw it to belinda or uh, to Alicia or Kevin to do like the triathlon. And more than once they had to be like, okay, Kevin, for the regular viewer, what did you just say? (laughs) (laughs) It is, it's funny. I think we forget that, yeah. And you know, most people watching it would have been the triathlon fan. um, But the aim is to get it out there to the wider audience who, who don't know the sport and are perhaps viewing it for the first time. But I think as I mean, it's the same as athletes in the sport. When somebody new comes into it as a beginner at a triathlon club, we forget that they don't know the lingo that we don't think is anything different because we just use it every day. And that's what everyone talks about. And we forget that, yeah, there's a there's a whole lot, bunch of people that don't understand the the tech talk or the the, the acronyms or the, the slang that we use. Right. And then Belinda also had to explain why we were all rooting for Paula Finley to win, like why <laughs> we all wanted her to win. She and I mean, if anybody we've had oh. Paula on the podcast, but, you know, she was supposed to win gold at the Olympics, came in last, like was cry, like apologized to national Canadian TV because Canada's yeah. very into triathlon. Very. And so to see her win was I mean, that was my high point for sure. Oh, I mean, look, while you've I've just got goosebumps <laughs> while you like what watching back I did see her I managed to catch her on the screen as she finished and like just the the you could see it in her face that sort of shock what's just happened but that elation but in a really kind of down-to-earth way like she's and I think she's just she is just a fan favorite she's everyone loves her everyone was super happy for her to win um she's just such a professional and how she goes about the business and so and so lovely at the same time I think I think she was definitely a popular a popular win for sure and uh I kept thinking well see you can do all your training in your garage and be totally good <laughs> right yeah in the in the winter and everything like that yeah <laughs> so what were you surprised about obviously the I mean I thought it was going to be Paula from the beginning that wasn't super surprising but what did, were you surprised about the men's race the men's race was very surprising kind of all over the place yeah, the men's race are. I mean, for me, they were probably the long course athletes dominating more than the ITU athletes. I think probably beforehand going into the race, um, we were all, or I was expecting the ITU athletes to have a bit more of a stronger showing. 
Um, and in the end, it didn't it didn't work out that way. I think it, there was a bit of a balance, but it was good to see kind of the from, a, from my perspective, the long course athletes kind of like, yeah, hanging in there and taking taking those spots. You know, you know, obviously Gustav Eden won and he was that was an impressive and really impressive performance. And you might catch. You might consider him as a, an ITU athlete, but he I did know. win. He did win seventy point three world, so you know he's he crosses over a little bit more than someone. I keep like, thinking, uh, someone needs to tell him, like Gustav, long course is where your future is at. <laughs> like, oh <why>? yeah, <laughs> I know. I mean, I know there's that thrill of the Olympic Games and stuff, but mate, you're crushing everybody in the biggest two races in the last two years, kind of thing. I think, yeah, uh, yeah I think you need to move over to or. Oh, Maybe the others are saying, maybe the long course athletes are going, hey, Gustav, you just stay with the Olympic distance. You concentrate on that, mate. You you concentrate on your Olympics and we're just going to, don't come over to us yet. <laughs> exactly. And then, I mean, it was interesting because you're right, like a n- number of the big, I thought it was going to be Alistair Brownlee, Vince Louise, and obviously Vince had a penalty. So did Jonathan Brownlee. Alistair like, started cramping or he pulled his calf. Um, I do think the guys might have biked too hard and not drank enough because they were dropping like flies on the run. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, I, I I had a I'd heard that Ali had a bit of a calf industry industry <laughs> injury, so my bet on him was like he's going to win or he's blown it. You know, he's not finishing. That was kind of that's what right. you get with Ali. Like if he's on that that fine line, he he either wins and he's an incredible performance or he's out. But um, the men's race was. So it was two o'clock in the afternoon for the men compared to 10 in the morning. And those hours between, you know, from the women starting to men, it did actually get pretty hot. Hmm. And whilst they were probably all inside um, resting up and, and stuff like that before the race, I do wonder if just that bit later in the day starting, they hadn't really considered the difference in heat. But I do think as well, you're right, I probably think they there was maybe at that short course mentality of like, this is just going to be, quick and fast and we don't need to fuel as much but yeah they were yeah they yeah. were struggling a little bit all over the place the one guy Dimitri, he didn't even have water bottles on his bike no, I know. someone <laughs> said that like, like what are you doing dude did somebody not told you um and i think you know also there was a a little bit of difference in the um interpretation of 20 meters between the women and the men <laughs> so um i was I think I was surprised that the women's race broke up so quickly um, in uh, when they got on the bike and that you actually didn't see, because it was quite a big swim pack that came out of the water at the start. There's sort of 10, 10 women together, but actually within a few laps, it was sort of twos and threes and stuff like that. Whereas the men's race, it stayed much more as that front pack for a lot longer. And possibly because of that, they had that dynamic where, if they were going to go to the front of that pack, they had to really um, put down some stronger watts to get past because of the train mm-hmm. effect, even at 20 meters. And maybe that had then more of an effect further Later. on down into the race. Yeah. Yeah. Some people. And so that's why I think you saw some people running their way all the way up. I mean, Gustav Eden ran his way up. Matt Hansen yeah. was sprinting for the finish. Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, being a little bit biased of being in the training group with Matt when he suddenly like appeared from what felt like nowhere on the screen and he was like catching up to um I was on the phone Lauren Brandon was at the finish line I was like watching from inside I was on the phone to her and she couldn't see she knew he was coming but she couldn't see what was happening I'm like he's like 10 meters behind second he's overtaken second and like we were losing it and I was like how how far is it from 
the aid station to the finish and people were saying, oh, it's about a kilometer or something like that. I don't know. I'm like, he looks like he's doing a hundred meter sprint. <laughs> like he, he was, was like full like on sprinting. Yes. <laughs> and I actually, I spoke to Matt this morning and um, he was saying it was funny because as he was sort of catching, I said, did you know where you were? Did you know how, you know, what position you were in in those last stages? Because obviously you can kind of see people. And he said, well, I think he passed, I think when he passed Rudy von Berg, he sort of asked, is this, am I now in third? Is this third? And Rudy was like, no, but you're a lap behind. He's like, no, I'm on no, fourth. No, no. <laughs> and then as he caught, and he's like, shit, I'm now in third. And then as he caught George Goodwin, who was another, that was another fantastic performance, I have to say, by George. Um, he kind of, I think George asked him, he's like, what lap are you on? as Matt went past him and Matt just left it until he was about 10 meters ahead of him and then went fourth. Like <laughs> oh, that's a, that's a, that's a move right there. That's a strategy. Okay. But yeah, I mean, that is the thing with laps, right? Like, I think we've all had that happen at a race where someone goes flying by you, but really they're like three laps behind you. And yeah. Yeah. So. yeah and, they put, and, and they didn't have lap counters. Like they weren't collecting a wristband mm. or anything like that. So there was, really was, no way of knowing until you yeah of who was coming from behind and what lap they were on yeah yeah no that's interesting and i mean there was a number of guys who ran i mean lionel also runs ugly but he ran his way all the way up into fourth very impressed with that because he was super yeah. behind after the swim um sam long had a good run like vince after the penalty ran i mean he ran the fastest of the day but you yeah. know had a two-minute penalty um so it was it was it was a very exciting race and i was also like man at seventy thousand dollars, probably doubled Matt's income for the year. At oh yeah. Least. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we were saying like you know, because he came second to Ironman Florida, you know, only a few weeks ago. It was like, what did you win for second there? And then what did you uh, for for double the time of race? Mm -hmm. So if you break it down that way, um, and yeah, and you know, the same George Goodwin, like young up and coming up and coming athlete, probably when he kind of moved into that second place everyone was like who is this guy like what is what what's he's what's he doing up there sort of thing so for him to win you know the money that he got in third like he looked like he was going around with like this just face shock and disbelief of what just happened to him and what that kind of means now for him going forward for sure no it's uh and i always feel bad when people say oh you won a hundred thousand dollars in just three and a half hours like no you won a hundred thousand dollars after like many many years of work <laughs> yeah i mean if you if you break it down on that, that sort of hourly rate of the race yeah it sounds it sounds incredible and impressive but if you break it down into like even just over 2020 or the years behind that that people have put in it's uh yeah it's a bit bit different and so where do we obviously everyone's kind of on their way home now different i mean i was joking that we should do a following people as they try to get home i think amelia Watkinson has to go in a two-week quarantine now Every like I think yeah. Eric Lagerstrom, Paula's uh passport expired. They're not sure yeah. how he's gonna get back. So there's all kinds of crazy. Yeah. yeah, they they said they've got to go and hunker down and camp out until they get his new passport. I think Amelia and um some of the other Aussies are doing a couple of days over here, but then they go back and have to be in quarantine, which I think is over Christmas. And that's in like a hotel quarantine. Uh Belinda Granger flew out at 7 a.m. this morning or something. She's got 10 hour layover in LA and then she's got to go into quarantine, which I frankly think is dangerous. She is not gonna survive. Everyone on social media, watch out because Belinda's gonna be going nuts and everyone else is gonna hear about it on, on social media. Um yeah, and then I think again, the Canadians, they've got to go into right. quarantine, which I think can be at your home. It can be at your own location, home, yeah. but no one else can be there rather than being at a hotel. 
Um, and then the rules are changing. Like, you know, California is going into a bit more of a lockdown and what's implications going to be there. So yeah, it's, yeah, maybe we should, maybe should track that. We should have kept their trackers on. We should have kept their, <laughs> we'll get their timing on and see how, where they were over the next few days. Yeah. It's a, uh, you know, racing, racing will be interesting for at least a, at least another year or so. We'll see yeah. what happens for sure. Yeah. So what else should we expect from the, I mean, you just came in to help handhold the pros. You're not, but what else should we expect from challenge from the PTO on what's uh kind of next yeah um on that i have to say the women are a lot easier to look after than the men sorry <laughs> boys sorry boys I'm just just saying it just saying it the women were much easier on race day no um no it was good fun actually um what can we expect from challenge and the races yeah. in the pto um i think this is this is the start i think they put on a really great event for the first one and yes it definitely wasn't perfect and you know there are lots of things behind the scenes that we definitely could do differently um but I think for a first thing and trying to do what they did they did a pretty damn good job and I think it built that excitement that everyone was wanting I think it's given the pros some confidence of what's happening with the PTO like we actually had a um immediate we actually had a media session this morning with the nascar media team in terms of a bit like a, a very brief media training session no way in depth but just some basics which was great and like you know who wants to turn up to that 8 a.m after the biggest race and only race of the year for everybody at the end of the season so there were a few sore heads this morning but <laughs> people turned up so given their due and then we had a bit of a you know sam renouf gave a, gave a bit of a presentation and just gave some more explanation and he will be doing that to obviously the broader PTO membership because obviously only only the athletes racing were there today. And I think that's given, I hope that's given the athletes some confidence in the direction and what the PTO want to do. But, and when I say the PTO, I mean, that's the athletes as a whole. So mm -hmm. we, we as athletes need to be, it's us, what we want to get out of this. Um, I think, you know, looking into next year, uh, Challenge Daytona have raised the bar in terms of the coverage and and the event that they put on. Um, obviously, it's it's a different game when it is on the Speedway track bec and because they've got that infrastructure. I mean, trying to replicate that on a what we would consider a standard half-distance course right. is trickier. But um, I think it's shown, hopefully, what is possible. Um, I think it's shown, like, with the all the the media stuff that the athletes went through kind of giving them an indication of what what the PTO can help with the athletes for in moving forward um i think from challenge perspective we're going to see a lot more races of a similar style to the daytona the daytona uh, race using like the nascar tracks and stuff mm. as though that's going to be sort of maybe the theme of challenge north america it's huh. going to be a you know different different nascar tracks where there's water involved so you know, it's not going to suit everyone, but I think they've got real exciting ideas around how they want to do like a different, a bit of a different kind of series and have some fun with it, mix it up, get the prize money for the pros, but have that, that real interaction between the, you know, the pros and the age groupers. Um, we had the pro, you know, the pro-am relay is fantastic with that. You know, the age groupers get to bid to be the bike and the the runner for with a professional and that money goes to the NASCAR foundation. So things like that, that they can do. We were saying maybe they should, they should um, 
do a professional athlete with like a celebrity right. and age grouper and that I think we'd get some a few more bids and stuff like that um so I think I think it's given people a little bit of okay I, I'm on board I get this I can see where we're going I can see the opportunities um yeah it's not perfect there's still some teething problems um and there's lots to improve but I I hope it's given those kind of people that were have been a bit more skeptical or on the fence or, or bagging it out a little bit. Um, hopefully it's gone. Okay. We'll, we'll give it a chance sort of thing. Everyone. I mean, I talked to the, you guys, all the pros and they always tell me, Kelly, I know you're skeptical. I'm like, guys, Ben, I'm not skeptical. I just want to know <laughs> how you're going to make money. All right. That's yeah. all I'm asking. Yeah. 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 I mean, and, and that's still, I mean, that's still a little bit of unknown, but we, it, we did talk about like the sustainability of, the PTO in terms of the investment coming in. And yeah, I mean, the money has got to come in at some point. It's not just going to be an empty pit, but <laughs> as well, I think Mike Moritz and Crankstar Investments, they do have a longer term plan. They're not just in it short haul. If you look at the companies that Mike's invested in, they are long term, you know, they're companies that were losing money for the first four or five years or six years. And he continued to invest because he could see what would potentially happen in the future. Um, and I think we kind of got to look look a little bit like that. Um, and yeah, I mean, whether whether it's successful for this generation of athletes and for the people involved now, and again, this is what we said this morning, we don't know, but we hope that it's the building blocks and the foundation to at some point get to that place where it is successful and we have money coming in through TV, through right. sponsors and that sort of thing. I also kind of like this 100K distance. I feel like this this is what they're going to be, like their standard distance, 2K swim, 80K bike, 18K run. I feel like we could all get on board with that, right? I feel like well, I want to do that. Well, you're yeah. an older athlete and you're better at long distance. You don't have the speed in the swim, Kelly. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking for myself, obviously. Talking for a friend here, not myself. Um, yeah, look, it is a great distance. And it does mean that you get that crossover between ITU and the middle distance I would like to see some longer events thrown in as well you know if I if I go back to what I felt the PTO came on board with first several years ago it was to help the endurance side of the mm -hmm. sport so the ITU athletes they've got a they've got their triathlon foundations of their, their home yeah. like supporting them they've got um they've the Olympics they have the world cup the triathlon world triathlon series um, they've got Super League and they've got kind of a huge amount of opportunity, whereas the long course athletes have almost been forgotten from that side of things. And so the PTO for me started around that longer side and this, the, you know, Challenge Daytona and the Collins Cup are going to be the shorter distance again, which will favour the sort of half distance specialists plus the ITU guys who can step up. So I think it's great because I think it's a good, it's long enough and short enough at the same time to have a race and capture attention. But I would like to see some longer events going in that would favor or give the longer course, the, the, <laughs> the very longer course, ultra <laughs> an opportunity. <laughs> really go ahead. But still, you know, they did pretty good. Lionel was yeah. up there. Matt was up there um, for sure. So yeah. It was a very exciting weekend. Thanks so much for giving us like all the scoop on the ground. That's all right. It was fun. I'm uh, yeah, it was, there was definitely a buzz as everyone started, as the athletes started arriving and you got closer and closer to race day. And I think everyone just realized, oh shit, this is going to, sorry, can't swear. Probably. <laughs> um, I think I've already done it several times. Like, oh heck, this is actually going to, this is actually going to happen. Right. There was 
And on race morning, there are a lot of nervous people, like athlete-wise. I think, you know, for many athletes, they've not raced all year. This was the first race and it was suddenly like, and heck, this is, look at the start list, look at who's standing around me. This is the best, you know, okay, not everyone was there, but predominantly this was the right. best athletes in the world. This is a big race. And then when they suddenly saw like the the coverage and stuff, there was a lot, a lot of nerves going around, around race morning. Yeah, no, I could see that. I could see that. You could you could sense it watching. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Anyway, yeah. we will have you back in the new year to tell us more about you know what's happening in triathlon and give us all the scoop on the ground. So have a good uh, good holidays. Brilliant. Thanks, and you guys. Interested in triathlon training gear tips from the pros? Subscribe to the Triathlete Magazine podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes of the Triathlete Hour drop every Wednesday. Our gear podcast, Gear Up, comes out the last Monday of the month, and our training podcast, Fitter and Faster, arrives on the mid-Friday of each month. Subscribe so you don't miss any of these great episodes. All right, this week we're talking to Taylor Spivey, who is fourth uh, in the world last year in the ITU, and... uh, and now this year, I mean, you haven't really raced, right? You you missed out on Tokyo test event by seven seconds, which has got to be oh, I was I was screaming at my TV, Taylor. It was uh, it was rough. I think it was even more rough for me. <laughs> <laughs> my worst race of the season. I had like a stomach bug, and um, yeah, to lose that spot in the last hundred meters because I ended up walking a K was not ideal. <laughs> yeah, and then that was like the last kind of chance to qualify for the olympics before you know this ended up all happening and so now it's just like you have to wait a while i know it just keeps lingering <laughs> it's like come on can i just like get my ticket already please oh yeah. uh, it's okay I, it's okay <laughs> i guess and so this whole year i mean you were over in europe when i say like when the pandemic happened but when things kind of locked down and so you ended up staying in spain for a while by yourself right yeah, yeah. So when the well, before the pandemic, um, I was in Montegordo, Portugal with my training group. Um, my coach is Paulo Sousa, and I train with his group, the triathlon squad. So we typically spend like the beginning of the year in Montegordo. And then we were about to fly to Abu Dhabi to race. And then Basically, they canceled that race like a week before because um, the there was a cycling race there oh, yeah, yeah. prior and some of the athletes were in Abu Dhabi and they got sick and then they had to quarantine and they were stuck there in a hotel room for like two weeks. And so then they totally canceled our race and that's when everything just started and we were kind of fortunate that we weren't those athletes stuck in the hotel room for two weeks well i think it was like the same hotel you guys were supposed to be in for the itu race like the next week that was my understanding yeah yeah so in a way it was good that we didn't race but at the same time it was like there was such a big build-up going into this like i felt super ready and fit and then everything shut down it was crazy (laughs) yeah so thereafter i spent i don't know like two months or so in portugal and people in my group slowly left um and i ended up once my teammate 
left, um, who I was living with at the time, I was just pretty much alone. I didn't see anyone for a while. And that kind of gets to you. Um, but at least we were able to go outside and like go on bike rides outside and run from the house. And um, otherwise I was pretty isolated, which was a lot better than the situation on the other side of the border in Spain, which was only about a 10 minute drive away from me. Um, where they were in a complete lockdown. They couldn't go outside for anything except to get groceries or go to the pharmacy so or walk their dog. <laughs> <laughs> so I was really fortunate that I was in like a pretty safe area where we had a little bit less restrictions. But at the same time, it was unfolding. The, the pandemic was unfolding in Europe a lot quicker and sooner than it was in the U.S. Right, right. Do you speak Portuguese? No. <laughs> so you were there by yourself and you're like. <laughs> yeah, I speak a bit of Spanish. Well, I learned Spanish in elementary school. So from that Spanish, I know a bit. Um, and luckily, we're so close to the Spanish border that a lot of people speak Spanish. But, right. Um, okay. Yeah. But eventually, I mean, you kind of were going crazy, right? And eventually you're like, that's it. I'm just going to drive all the way to France because your boyfriend was in France. Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, I I was getting pretty over it. And by that time, I think there were only like three of my teammates left in Portugal. And my coach was going to leave soon. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to try to cross the border because I had a visa, a French visa. And so the objective was just to cross Spain and go to France. So I wake up at like 3 a.m. My car is already packed. <laughs> I drive to the border. And um, I like speak Spanglish to the guy at the border <laughs> and he, he checks my visa and just tells me I need to take the most direct route to France. And I get like a little slip that just explains what I'm doing in case I get pulled over because you're really not allowed to be out in Spain. So huh. luckily that worked. The first border crossing worked. I was a little worried about what the second border crossing would be like. So um Ended up driving 12 hours, um, got to the border, and the guy looked at my passport and my visa. And luckily, he, after like a bit of chatting, he let me go. And I was so thankful <laughs> because if they had told me to turn around, I don't think I would have been able to get back into Portugal. <laughs> oh, no, that you'd have been like stuck in your car. <laughs> Yeah, like just, I have no idea what I would have done. But yeah, so I got to France and I experienced the rest of the French lockdown with my boyfriend, Vince. Um, yeah, so he was pretty fortunate. He was staying in a house. He organized like this house setup that had a pool in their backyard, like a 25 meter pool, mm. which was super nice because a lot of like beaches and lakes and like any other body of water that we could have swim in was closed so we were able to swim we started to swim again <laughs> well I yeah. started to swim again um and then we couldn't ride outside and we were only allotted like a 30 minute window of going outside of the house to exercise okay so, so you got all your training in yeah pretty much lots of swift <laughs> lots of yeah, trainer rides, which I 
I really, if I can go outside now, I will go outside. I don't care <laughs> what the weather is like. But um, yeah, it was a lot of indoor riding and just swimming in a two-lane pool, which was really nice because it was about 10 meters from my doorstep. And uh, yeah, I got to be with my boyfriend and a few other athletes. So that was, so it was nice to have someone really to talk nice. to. Yeah, for a change. Yeah, yeah. Not just staring at my screen. I think my screen time went up to like eight <laughs> hours for like two weeks because I was zwifting on it and like just FaceTiming everyone. So I didn't go insane, but I think I probably did a little bit. <laughs> so obviously, I mean, a lot of people when you know, shit was going down, decided to kind of come home, like go back to wherever they were from. But you stayed in Europe. Why didn't you want to? I mean, you don't even really have a house in the US, right? No, <laughs> I don't really have a house anywhere. I have a storage unit in the US. And like, I mean, I have a room at my parents' house, but sure, it's they're like not going to kick of, you out. Yeah. Yeah. It's like kind of become like, another room for them. So I didn't really want to go back there. And I wasn't sure how things would progress in the US. So I just, I wanted to play it safe, like not fly, um, be with my boyfriend. And then the goal was to get to our house eventually that we just got in Girona, Spain, once that lockdown lifted. So um, that's what we ended up doing. Another long drive, not quite as long, but um, yeah. It's so, very like worldly of you. You have a house in Spain. You know, I like... <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't really call it my house, but I guess it's it's my house too. Um, <laughs> so it's it's nice moving into a house during a pandemic is not recommended. Um, but but I'm just glad I like have a place that's starting to feel like home, which I I haven't really had in my adult life. So it's a nice change. Yeah, because you've been basically doing the like suitcase life global triathlete thing since you graduated college right yeah pretty much um i mean i lived at my parents house for a bit while i was working full-time um you know just when i started triathlon because it's <laughs> it's not a very lucrative career um <laughs> so i yeah i lived at their house for a bit and then since then i've pretty much been living out of a suitcase, which is hard because you accumulate things. Like, I mean, everything I have for the year is in my suitcase, my carry-on and my bag back. So I have a lot of stuff that I travel with and I always pray that it's underweight, but I end up like shipping a lot of stuff home really? because I, I slowly accumulate things, whether it's stuff from sponsors or just like, I want a new shirt because I'm sick of the three things that I wear all the time or like it's cold and I want a sweatshirt, which takes up half of my suitcase so it's a lot of um I don't know shipping things home I'll say but um I look forward to having a home base pretty soon yeah I was gonna ask what are your so obviously then you're a travel expert what are your like four outfits that you wear all the time <laughs> <laughs> um I probably pack more normal clothes than most people because I don't know. I've always liked to just look like a normal person when I'm not training, which doesn't happen very often. Like I don't get to dress up very much, but I like to have those clothes when like if I go out on a date night with my boyfriend or just like want to feel like a normal person for a night. So I usually have like a pair, like a good pair of jeans, a good pair of jean shorts, um, 
lots of black, especially <laughs> black pants. Like I only have neutral colors so that everything matches. <laughs> lots of black, maybe some white, but I usually get anything white dirty within like a week. And then really fuzzy, comfortable things because I spend any time that I'm not training pretty much in like pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> fuzzy, comfy things are the most important. All right. I right. see. So these are the pro tips for traveling. Yes, so you keep mentioning your boyfriend. I feel like we should tell people your boyfriend's Vince Louise, who's like the number one in the world. I mean, I don't think he's like lost a race in forever. How did you guys meet? And what's that? I mean, was it like you're both competing on different teams for different countries? Is that weird? I feel like that'd be weird. Yeah. Um, so yes, Vince is my boyfriend and he has had a great year this year. Despite there not being a lot of races, I think he's won all of them. Yes. And we're awaiting for his last race of the season, which is this week weekend in Daytona. I'm just here as team support. And um, we've been dating for two years or so. And we met because he would just DM me on Instagram all the time. <laughs> And I was like, thought to myself, oh, he's probably messaging a lot of girls. Like, uh, let's just wait, wait this out. We'll see how this plays out. And then at one race, um, he ended up like proposing a bet to me. So okay. our relays, the French relay and the American relay, were racing against each other. And he said, if we beat you guys in this relay, you owe me a coffee at our next camp in Flagstaff because we were going to overlap the camp. And I was like, yeah, 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 sure. And if we beat you, you owe me two coffees. <laughs> <laughs> so um, then when we were in Flagstaff, like we beat them. So he took me out to eat and um, yeah, we just hit it off. And um, once we got to the grand final in Gold Coast that year, was it 2018? Uh, yeah, we just have been together ever since. But you guys don't actually, I mean, you don't actually have the same coach. So you're not even, you're not on the same squads, right? I mean, I feel like people think you are, but you're not. Yeah, yeah. So I think everyone thinks I'm in his group because I <laughs> have spent a lot of time with his group. Um, and I really like his group and I like my group. So it's just he, our camps have overlapped a lot. So we've um, been in Flagstaff together. We've been in Fort Aventura at the same time. We've been in Font Rameau at the same time. So we've been able to make it work, even though we're not in the same training group, which is really nice. Um, and then when the pandemic happened, we were just together in Europe and his group had some camps in Europe. So I just ended up staying with them because it was it was easier. My group wasn't really training together at all. So right, they were right. dispersed around the world. So um, yeah, it's really nice that like our coaches are accommodating to both of us. Um, his group is pretty like male dominant. So there's a lot of guys in that group that he can train with. And my group is very female dominant. So that, that helps me out because I have a lot of, you know, girls that are strong in every discipline who right. have something to offer. So, so it's like kind yeah. of long distance relationship, but not really. Cause really you guys see each other a lot. It's just sort of like, a, it's like passing ships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think this last, just before meeting up like a few days ago, may have been the longest we've been apart since we started dating. It's like two and a half, almost two and a half months. So 
Yeah, interesting. Okay. But it is weird because (laughs) we're all like pros at FaceTime now. Yeah. But it is weird. I mean, you mentioned the relays because the French relay and the American relay are like the two favorites next year. You guys do go head to head. Does it get like tense a little bit? Um, I don't think so. At least not yet. (laughs) Because like the French are always dominating the relay, right? So it's always like a fight for second and third. So I think I think we're both like pretty understanding and supportive and we both want each other to succeed. So as long as like we both, you know, medal in the relay, we'd be super happy for each other. And maybe maybe us being on opposite teams can help <laughs> us both because then we can maybe have some team tactics so we <laughs> guarantee like a first and a second. <laughs> But, All right. I mean, yeah. I have had on good authority, Taylor, that you guys are actually going to do very well. Like, watch out. The U.S. is going to be very good at the relay next year. Yeah, Olympics. I hope so. Like, I think I think maybe just having this extra year will help help our relay out even more. I hope. Yeah. You hope. Yeah. <laughs> so this extra year, obviously, I mean, your big goal is the Olympics. Um, and you have this extra year now. And I know you were using it. I mean, obviously, we talked some about training, but you were also using it some to address like injuries that you've been dealing with for a long time. Right. So do you think this extra year is going to end up helping you? I mean, I know the seven seconds missing out before the year started (laughs) is rough, but yeah, yeah. Those seven seconds. I think I have an extra year to realize like what I need to work on um, (laughs) in terms of traveling and and eating while abroad. Um, But in terms of like, my body. I mean, I've been dealing with some like plantar fasciitis and compensation issues for like two years, probably more than two years now. So I know how to like train with it and like take care of myself. I think the hardest thing with the lockdown actually was that, you know, we kept pushing through training because we kept anticipating maybe the next race, maybe the next race instead of like when we finally realized there wasn't going to be a race, we then dialed it back. But I think not having those races and not having access to like, you know, the people who give us like PT and like massage and, and um, those resources, I think that's kind of what like maybe tipped me over the edge just a little bit where I was like, okay, I should sort this out now. Whereas I think if this pandemic didn't happen at all, like I would have been totally fine, but (laughs) Now I'm just like, okay, let's get this to the point where I don't even have to worry about it next year. So I can push through it when I need to, but I'm trying to be smart about it. You're trying to be smart. That's good. Yeah. I mean, you did, I mean, you did take a little break and then they announced hamburgers coming. And I think you ended up having like four or five weeks of running before Hamburg, basically. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, So they announced, they announced Hamburg. And we were like, oh, is this going to be another one of those races? They announce and then they cancel. So I was like, okay, I will start to run and like see how it feels. And to be honest, I don't know if taking a break really helped because it's like tendons are weird that way. But um, I started running and I was like, yeah, I probably won't race. And there was a week where I was like, mm, I'm just not going to race. And then they announced it was world champs like two weeks before. And I was like, okay let's maybe try to do a few strides or like something fast. And I was like, Oh, it's not getting worse. It's the same. So a week out, I was like, 
okay, I guess I'll go. <laughs> and then it, I ended up racing, like my racing results surpassed my expectations by far. I thought, oh, maybe like a top 10 will be good, but like chasing a podium result was just n not in my expectations of, at all. But I think it goes to show that you can just, you can still be, be fit and race ready, even if the lead up doesn't quite go according to plan. Like you can, in triathlon, we're so fortunate we have three sports so we can get fit in other ways, right? So, I mean, I was biking so much more and I think that helped a lot in this race. Okay. Yeah. Cause I mean, you ended up doing really well, right? So yeah, it has to be a little bit confidence too, right? Like a little bit believing that you can do it. Yeah. Like I said, like going into that race, I would have been happy with the top 10 and I ended up getting fourth and mm -hmm. I also did the relay. And, um, so I definitely had a major confidence boost with these results. Cause I, I see myself as like a swimmer turned triathlete and I'm up against all these runners turned triathletes. So when I have to stop running because it's my, you know, weakest leg, I think that I'm going to be at such a major deficit. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think I'm finally finding my way in running and I finally have a few mile more miles in my legs that, um, you know, I don't have to be as self-conscious about my run, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think you're a pretty fast runner in all fairness. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting there. It's It's been a buildup of consistency, but, you know, having this break really made me worried and having mm -hmm. that result made me feel much more confident in my decision to like focus on getting this better. So that's good. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. You did start out as a swimmer though. And I think this is really funny. Your parents were both triathletes. Like your mom actually was like a pro long course triathlete. Your dad was an age group triathlete. Was it like always like you will be a triathlete too? Yeah. So my parents met doing triathlon and you have all of the details, correct? <laughs> uh, my dad was like a pretty good age grouper too. So, but they, yeah, they focused on Ironman because I think they were a little bit pre like ITU era. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I knew they did triathlon my whole life, but I never thought I would do triathlon. They never like forced me to do it. Um, my mom's like a diehard swimmer. So she just wanted me to swim all the time. And my dad was just supportive in any sport I, with any sport I did. Um, so when I decided to do triathlon, like my last year at college after I swim, um, in college, uh, they were both really supportive, which was, which was really, really good. But I think my, my dad was much more reluctant because he, really? he knew how, how difficult it was to succeed in the sport. And he saw me as, you know, a swimmer, not a runner. And all of these great runners were being recruited into the uh, USAT collegiate recruitment program. And he just didn't want me to waste my like education and time on something that wasn't going to maybe give me the financial stability and success that I needed to have in my adult life. All right. So you, I mean, but I mean, it worked out okay. Yeah. It, <laughs> really, thank God. I know, but I think I think him having his reservations and being like, okay, 
you need to support yourself in this process and you need to figure out your like how you're going to do this your way um, made me work even harder for it because I wasn't, I didn't have like anything to rely on but myself and like whatever money I made from the sport or like the effort I put into it was like all on me. Like I couldn't go back to like living on my parents anymore. (laughs) Um, I didn't come from like a wealthy family. So I, I had to do it all on my own. And I think that made me work a lot harder for it basically. (laughs) Yeah. So you, um, I mean, you, you swam at Cal Poly in college. Why did you decide to switch to triathlon, which is only in, you know, a club sport, not like an actual NCAA sport. I mean, when you were doing it, did you just get tired of swimming? Is that the deal? (laughs) Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. So I went to Cal Poly to study architecture actually because they were one of the best architecture schools and I also liked that they had a swim team I could walk onto because I had quit swimming for a while um like pre-high school I was just really sick of it and then so I really started swimming again two years pre-college so I wasn't great a great swimmer I just started to love it again and I really actually my love for it came from doing surf lifesaving and um, mm. a lot of ocean races through what's known as junior lifeguards and um, later becoming an LA County ocean lifeguard. So yeah, in college, my focus was school and I, I continued to swim. I'd get up at like 4am cause I couldn't make afternoon practice and swim for two and a half hours with like three other people and go about my, my day <laughs> really tired. Um, but then come my fourth year. So architecture is five years. Mm-hmm. Come my fourth year of school, I had the opportunity to study abroad And when that opportunity came, I wanted to still stay active and fit. Um, So I thought, oh, why not just, you know, start triathlon and start running and and biking in in Italy? Like, why not? (laughs) (laughs) And so I had done like one race before I studied abroad. And then... Or maybe it was two races. I, honestly, I don't really remember. It feels like a long time ago. But um, then I studied abroad and a coach had contacted me while I was abroad. And he had contacted my parents and like sent me a message on Facebook. I was like, who is this guy? This is super weird. Um, and once we got to talking, I was like, oh, okay. This guy is like wants to coach an ITU athlete. Um, I didn't really know much about ITU at the time. I just thought like long course was the only thing that existed. So he started to work with me while I was abroad and would give me some like casual, like run and bike training. But meanwhile, I'm kind of just enjoying the Italian life. Right. (laughs) Um, but yeah, it was really good. His name is Greg Mueller. He coaches a lot of development athletes now. Um, but yeah, he's the reason that I'm doing this sport now. And if it wasn't for him, I, I don't, I maybe I'd be doing long course, who knows? So, so yeah, I started running in Italy and biking and I swam with like a local group, which was really fun way to get to know the culture. I feel like swimming in Italy is like a little 
different. Yeah, it is. (laughs) But it was, it was really fun. This national coach there kind of let me like took me under his wing and let me swim with a few of their national team athletes. So it was, it was a really cool experience. And I'm glad I had the sports to like connect with people. I also joined like a running group and ran two cross country races while I was there. And I had no idea what cross country was. Like I didn't know you ran on grass or mud (laughs) or anything like that. So that was an experience when I've been running for like five months maximum, you know? So it was a, it was such a great way to get to know a culture and I wouldn't have experienced it any other way. So back to my story. (laughs) So I come back from Italy and my coach has me do an EDR. It's an elite development race and I race it and I win and I get my professional license, which was pretty cool. So I don't claim my professional license until I finish my last year of school, but I continued to swim and like occasionally run and bike. And I, I was also on the tri team, which was a super fun group of people. And, um, and you did I collegiate raced, nationals, right? Yeah, I raced collegiate yeah. nationals, and I did the draft legal race there. Um, I didn't do it really with any drafting because I was just trying to stay away from the runners. So I swam like crazy because I was super swim fit. I biked like a crazy person too, and then I just ran not to get caught. And I ended up winning that race. So it was such a fun experience. We also raced the relay and got second. And I, I loved it. Like that's really what helped me fall in love with the sport was that, that team and like that atmosphere where everyone's doing the sport because they genuinely love it and want to be a part of this community. And, um, Okay. Yeah. And so then, I mean, and then USAT came knocking, was like, come be part of our college recruitment program. See, people just come and they just ask you to be a triathlete. <laughs> I don't know if it was that easy. I still, <laughs> I still didn't fit the mold that they wanted me right. to fit. So I wasn't a good runner. Like I was a good swimmer. So I think maybe they, you know, wanted me there and to see what I could do. Um, but they also knew I was working full time and that I couldn't get to the level that I wanted to be at without their support. So going into the collegiate recruitment program was helpful because I finally got a year where I didn't have to work and I got to just focus on triathlon. And did that make a big difference? It, it taught me a lot and it, it did make a big difference but I think there was like a learning curve. So I, I had a lot of like ups and downs. And I think at the end of my year there, I started to find my way. But um, it wasn't until the year after when I joined the coach that I have now, Paulo Sousa, that I actually started to perform to like a better ability so I could sustain this lifestyle like financially. So right. it was... It was a building block of a lot of stepping stones. And I think it goes to show that like, like for me, success didn't happen right away. Like it did with a lot of the athletes in the, CR- in the CRP. For me, it took a lot of time and like working with the right people at the right time in my 
growth and development as an athlete. So yeah, it's, it's okay. been a journey. Yeah. It's been a journey. You also like had a really bad crash that first year. Um, you like still like don't have some of the tendons or something in your knee from that crash, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. If you've seen any of the pictures, it's pretty graphic. So yeah, I think in that year, just before the CRP, right after college, I went on a bike ride with my dad on his birthday, ended up doing a group ride through this area that's like, uh, lies along an earthquake fault. <laughs> so, well, it's only like a mile of road. That's kind of sketchy. Um, so we're going really fast with like 70 people and I don't see this bump because the road is always changing and I hit a bump, fall sideways, go down this steep gravel road. Well, it's not gravel. It's like always paved because it's always moving. So I go down this like fresh asphalt road, get gravel all over me. I sit up and I look at my knee and it's covered with like gravel and blood and I can like see inside it. It's just above my kneecap, but yeah, it was pretty graphic <laughs> to say the least. And I just started screaming. <laughs> um, fortunately, this was such a big group ride that, well, my dad was on it. So he turned back around. Um, there's a doctor on the ride, a sheriff, <laughs> um, just like a lot of really helpful people who are really good friends with my dad. Um, and then someone who lived nearby. So the paramedics come, the guy who lives nearby goes to get his car. So we don't have to pay for an ambulance because that's really expensive. <laughs> and, um, the paramedics just lift me into the car cause I did couldn't bend my knee or use it. And I was also in shock. Um, and we get driven to, the hospital called Harbor Terrace. It's, um, it was just the closest hospital nearby and it happened to be the hospital where my dad was born at, which is kind of ironic because it was his birthday and he hadn't been there since he was born. So yeah, happy birthday, dad. <laughs> <laughs> so thereafter they like scrub my wounds, try to get that black asphalt out of it. And, um, take a bit of painkillers. I get stitches. I think it's like seven stitches in my elbow, five in my knee. I have a broken bone in my hand and my finger, um, my knuckle, and I get some stitches on my hand as well. And I have quite a bit of road rash all on my left side. So um, I go home. A neighbor helps carry me up the stairs in our house because we live in a very narrow house full of stairs and um going up the stairs was absolutely awful um even though someone was carrying me just bending my knee a little bit was huh. excruciatingly painful um so yeah that was pretty crazy i really wasn't sure if i would be able to run again like right. i didn't know what this how this was going to affect this career that I wanted to do and hadn't succeeded in yet. Cause it was, you know, a year or two into my career mm -hmm. as an athlete. So luckily I worked with a physical therapist who lived down the street from me. His name's Sean Ryan. 
And um, he was so helpful and so accommodating and um, would check on me a lot. And um, other than that, it was just kind of a time to let my body heal and, and see what happened. So I couldn't walk for, forwards because I couldn't lift my foot up. So I did a lot of walking backwards, <laughs> <laughs> which was interesting. And um, I'd have to go to the doctor's office like every other day to get x-rays, see how the wounds were healing. Um, so getting in and out of this condo that I lived in um, was so hard because it was full of stairs and I couldn't bend my knees. So I think it, if anyone was watching me slide down the stairs, it was probably really entertaining. But it, okay. was, it was not easy. So I it made me really you know, empathize for anyone who has any sort of injury because it was the first time I experienced something like that in my life. Did you ever think like, all right, I'm like, I'm done. I'm just going to go be an architect. Like, forget <laughs> um, not really because I'm very stubborn and I wanted to see <laughs> where this would go because I knew like, okay, when I'm young, this is the only time I could like, really do sport to my full ability. So I think I just took it in strides and wanted to see if I could just run again. And once I slowly was able to bend my knee and, you know, get it, my legs strong again, I, I just went full gas like I was doing before the injury. <laughs> Are you scared? I mean, whenever I feel like when people have bad crashes, it takes a while to not like be scared anymore, right? Yeah, I think because yeah. of that, I'm really reluctant to ride with people who <laughs> are a little sketchy. Like if you don't call things out or like point things out, um, I don't really want to ride with you. But um it's also made me like hyper vigilant when I ride. Like now I see things before they happen, which might make me like a little too cautious sometimes, but I know when to like turn it off and on. So okay. like I'm cautious in training and then in racing, I kind of go for it a little bit more. Cause yeah. there are crashes in IT races, like for sure. Like you can't avoid yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. But you know who to avoid. Okay. <laughs> Like, you know, who's like a really good bike handler and not going to do anything stupid. And then every once in a while, obviously you can't predict what happens, but like, usually I can see when someone's probably going to crash, like, oh, they, they're going to crash pretty soon. Like it's wet and they're taking this course, like full send. <laughs> right. Does everyone know? Is there like, is it like everyone in the, in the circuit yeah. knows? I think you, you figure it out as you ride in a pack. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You also did Super League last year, though, and that, I mean, that's, like, the NASCAR triathlon. Like, I felt like there was people crashing every, I mean, it was crazy. Yeah, I haven't crashed in any IT race, knock on wood, but um, in Super League, I've, like, hit a barrier and done some stupid things because there's no room to pass anyone on that course, so yeah. it's just a little chaotic. But it's really fun, and it's it's just as exciting to race as it is to watch that race. Really, mm -hmm. I always have like mixed feelings. It's like it looks really exciting, but it also looks like very terrifying. So. Yeah, I think I think the swim's the worst part <laughs> because you're just on top of each other. <laughs> but, um, you're like it's great, it's wonderful. Yeah. It's it's wonderful after like you get spread out a little bit. <laughs>
Okay. <laughs> it's just like, go, 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 go. And you have to like think and you have to be more tactical than just like, like, I don't know, than anything. Those are the most tactical races out there. And I think that's, that's what makes it so fun to me. Are you, obviously you came into ITU, you've done a lot of short course, but you know, I mean, your parents did long course. Is that like in the future here after the Olympics? Should we look out for Taylor? <laughs> um, we'll, we'll see. I don't want to commit to long course <laughs> yet. I remember my dad telling me how miserable long course was when he finished. I think he finished with Wildflower, which is kind oh, of funny because yeah. I started with Wildflower. Well, he finished with the longer version, but yeah. yeah. Um, I think I'll do a 70.3 before I commit to doing okay. anything longer. So I can see myself dabbling in a few of those and then reevaluate. So and then, and then answer, answer to come. Yeah, we'll see. Um, I mean, you obviously spend a lot of time in Europe and I think you and I talked about this before. It is one of those things where like long course is way bigger in the US. It is harder. I mean, you've talked a lot about trying to make a living. It is a different kind of a different ball game because in the US it's pretty much it's pretty much long course. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's hard because in the US, I don't think there's much of a following for ITU, which is really unfortunate because it's a really exciting race to just watch and follow. And it's so big in Europe and just globally outside of the US. Um, so I hope it, it gets a bigger following, you know, as time goes on and has as more US triathletes succeed. Um, but yeah, it's kind of a bummer that not as many Americans follow the sport. But I, I do think having this Daytona race here yeah. um, with some ITU athletes up against Ironman triathletes will will be good for the sport as a whole. And maybe more people will start to, to watch watch our races as a result. And so yeah, so you're in Daytona right now with Vince, but this is going to air next week after Daytona. So here, make your predictions right now and we'll see... I need a roster because I don't even know who's racing. So obviously I think Vince is going to do very well, but I might be biased. Um, I think who else in the men's side? I think the Brownleys. I think Alistair will do pretty well. Um, I mean, Vince and Alistair both raced the last few races together and they've both been so strong. So I think they're both people to watch in this race. Sorry. Just <laughs> um, um, and then as for some of the long course athletes, I'm so bad. I need to follow long course I more. I think um, Vince was saying Lionel will probably be pretty good. Oh, and then maybe, yeah. yeah, Rudy, Rudy Von Berg. Mm -hmm. Um, I just think it'll be really interesting to see what happens because the Ironman triathletes have more of a bike strength, I'd say, mm -hmm. whereas the ITU athletes have more of a swim run. run advantage. So I think it's a good way to balance out the competition and it'll keep it really exciting. Um, for the women, I think one to watch is Paula Finley. Yeah. I think she's been healthy and 
just training really well. I might be also biased because Paulo coaches her as well. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think I think she'll she'll do great. There are a few other girls I think will do great, but I'm drawing a blank because right, you're putting right. me on the spot, and I, I don't. Know I am. I'm really bummed that more girls aren't racing um, from ITU, but um, yeah, I think Flora and like Jess Learmouth would have would have been great. Have, yeah. Would have I been mean, so good because they're such strong cyclists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there are a lot of different issues there, but yeah, it's uh. Do you guys when you do you all follow like everyone's Instagrams the same way we like watching Paula do her like trainer workouts on her Instagram and or do you yeah, guys yeah. like actually talk to each other on WhatsApp? Um, I'll message her occasionally, but yeah, <laughs> just mostly. I mean, I follow like what she's been doing and she's right, been right. training like so well. And I think for her, it's just a matter of staying healthy. So for me, she's she's one of my podium picks. I guess you also have like um, Nicholas Spierig and right. Annie Haug. Um, yeah, okay. I think Nicholas Spierig's another one to watch. Okay, okay. We'll see if you. We'll see if you're right. We'll see. Yeah. So what are yeah. your? Sorry I mean, if I'm awesome. missing anyone out there. <laughs> I'm cheering for everyone. <laughs> So what are your, right now you're in Florida, you're, you've been working to, uh, you've been here in, in Colorado to work on like your PT to get your foot healthy. What are your plans from here? Is it kind of just like training all about Tokyo from here till next June, July? <laughs> whatever that is. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, the con our concept of time just doesn't exist anymore. Um, I will spend up until Christmas or the holidays in the U S with Vince and we'll, I'll just continue like my rehab, um, to make sure my foot is, you know, 100%. It's, it's better, but it's, it takes time. So it's not as black and white as like a stress fracture, mm -hmm. unfortunately. Um, so yeah, that's going to be my focus until the end of the year. Um, and just starting to increase my, my training volume because come January, my volume will increase even more. And I, my plan is to go back to Montegordo, Portugal, where it all started last year. <laughs> um, yeah, our, our first trials will be in, in May, like early mid May in Yokohama. Mm -hmm. I'm, I mean, assuming that race will happen. Um, and then the, so the first spot, well, the second spot, I guess, will be earned there if you podium, the first person to podium. And then the third spot will go to discretionary selection. So I'll have to wait it out until May to see if I make the team or if my heart's broken. But Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's too little sad. <laughs> but, um, yeah, hopefully it all goes well. I can train in full health and um you know qualifying for the uh, the u.s olympic team would mean the world to me because just a few years ago i never thought i had the chance to do that so being in this position is is really cool and really exciting and to be on the u.s team is just would be such an honor yeah it's not easy the u.s women are good but i think uh i mean i think all good money is on you and, and katie let's hope knock on something so. <laughs> knock on wood. i just yeah. keep knocking on my head <laughs> Well, thank you. All right. So we usually finish with a would you rather. Here's my would you rather for you. Since you're like <laughs> okay. a traveler. Would you rather train in Spain, Portugal, France, or the U.S.? Oof. 
I would rather train in Spain. Okay. What's so good about Spain? Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I like the, like riding my bike there is, is super nice, especially where we live in Girona because the cars are really respectful. Mm. So it makes you feel safe. There are so many roads and dirt roads. Like I could spend a month probably not doing the same exact ride, which is really nice. And um, yeah, great, great facilities and great running options. And the best part about Girona is that it's like a big athlete community. It's kind of like Boulder, mm -hmm. but like the Europe version of Boulder, there's like instead of you having like a lot of pro runners there, they have like a lot of pro cyclists. So it's like a cyclist triathlon heavy community. So you have all these international people there um, who just love the same things that, that you do. And, and we're all there for the same reason to be great athletes. And I mean, some great athletes live there already. So Uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Also, great coffee and great restaurants there, which is nice when you're an athlete because you eat a lot and you drink a lot of caffeine. <laughs> All right. So that makes sense why you guys bought a house there, right? So. Yeah, yeah. You're more than welcome to come visit. <laughs> uh, I highly recommend any athlete goes on a vacation there because it is a great place to train. All right. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us. And, uh, and I guess good luck to Vince, you know? Thank you. Thanks to Sid and Taylor for chatting. We promise to be less all about Daytona now that the only big race of the year is over. Next week, we'll be looking back at some of our favorite clips from this year before we take a holiday break. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Keep training and keep listening.